You have arrived at the Rourke Mix, a place where we talk music with a new guest every week. We get to explore what role music's played in each guest's life. Bands, concerts, road trips, loud breakups. We're going to cover a lot of things. Each week we get to meet someone new and take a music and life journey, and you get to jump on board. After the dust has settled, Chris and Brad return with a playlist based on what we've learned from the individuals and the stories we've shared. So here we go. Let's talk music. Hey, welcome to uh, the second episode of The Rourke Mix. And on this show, we have our friend Jock Climby. Jock, we've both known for a number of years, and we've known him through the university life. And then he went on to play professional football, um, got his law degree, partner in a law firm. He um, worked for TSN after he retired from pro football as he maintained his, uh, his legal career. And uh, so he's, he's no stranger to the camera. And, uh, and now he, uh, he, he ditched that part of his life, but uh, he's got three kids and um, he's got a pretty cool life. And, but one thing that's always remained constant with Jock is, uh, is the musical connection. Um, first year he had that guitar and, um, and then if you go to his cottage or if you're at a party and there's a guitar there, Jock usually finds his way to the guitar and, uh, and gets to his happy place. And uh, it's, music's been a big part of his life. And so we're gonna have a good chat with our, our friend and, um, and to see all the things he thinks about when he thinks music and all those connections. So, so yeah, settle in and uh, we, got a, we got a good long chat with our friend Jock. Okay, so um, we've got our buddy Jock Climby with us and uh, I've known Jock for three plus decades and- um, you had to say it, didn't you? you had to yeah. date me because everyone's <laughs> thinking, "How is that possible? The guy's no more than thirty-five. <laughs> so I knew Jock at birth and in infancy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, we've known. You know, I was thinking about this in terms of like, um, you know, you could say like a lot of people, you know them through stages of their life, or they did this, that, the other thing. But with with you, um, you just added things on. You know, so student, football, pro football, law school, all at the same time, uh, kids, um, I think that was at the same time, like all this stuff that, uh, so you've had, you had a lot going on always. And I wonder, you know, I was thinking about some of the questions that we want to ask you, and I, I, I wonder if like, was there a period where you actually were musically stagnant because you were in survival mode with three kids and never discovering a thing, you know, it's like just falling back on, on your old stuff, but we'll get there. Um, Cause I kind of like to start things chronologically in terms of, uh, um, you know, I, I know there was, you know, you growing up uh, many siblings. Um, I think your dad was into music. I'm not sure about your mom, but uh, here, and then you spent some time in Lahr, Germany, because the family moved there. I believe your dad was uh, uh, involved in the army. And, um, and so what was the general vibe of music in your house that you can remember? And, and you know, here, there, um, when did your musical memory kind of kick in? Um, everyone in my family will still talk about the days of uh, <clears throat> uh, bombing all over uh, Europe in our uh, blue Volkswagen van when we were, I was five, so I have three, three siblings, so we were four, five, six, and seven. 
And my parents were the type that every weekend, every March break, every Christmas holiday, it was in the van and it was uh, someplace crazy. Uh, Italy, Switzerland, France, wherever it was. And there was always music going in the tape deck and, uh, and it was my dad's music. And, you know, I, I laugh now uh, uh, when I think about how my kids basically run the, run the music in the, in the car. There was none of that back then. Like, I can't even imagine what would have happened if, if as a, a little kid, I'd said, hey, dad, why don't you put one of my tapes on? Like, they would have looked at me like I had two heads. So it was all my dad's stuff. Uh, but those are my, uh, those are all of our earliest memories is, is listening to music as we went all over Europe. And Bob Dylan featured pretty prominently uh, in, in that, in those, in those early days. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I would say my musical awakening, like I think a lot of people, I've been reading a lot of uh, musical biographies lately, and it seems like a lot of people's musical awakenings happen around 11 or 12. That's, that was absolutely my case. Before then it was, you were exposed to it, but not necessarily embracing it, not necessarily digging into it. Just, okay, that's okay. That's not okay, but who cares? And then all of a sudden it's, wait a second, I really want to hear that again. I never want to hear that again. And that happened on 11 or 12. But before then, it was a lot of, you know, Bob Dylan, Beatles, uh, you know, Muddy Waters, uh, Jerry Jeff Walker, Jerry Lewis, Neil Diamond. And then, it, you know, sometimes it would get off into Roger Whitaker and Nana Muscuri and opera and classical. And, you know, it was just this wide range. And you kind of had to figure out, hey, that, not so much. You, Dad, you really have to put that on. And shut up. That's what we're listening to. And, you know, other times it was like we're all bopping along and singing along. Do you, do you think um, he, um, he he was making conscious decisions of what he wanted you guys to hear? Or was it just his plan and you're going to follow no, along? No, it was whatever he wanted. It was a different era back then, as the two of you know. It's <laughs> like whatever mom and dad wanted, that's what happened. And if the kids liked it or didn't like it, that was largely irrelevant. Uh, Mr. Bingham? <laughs> I. I want to know what the next step is, um, and and, and uh, where where you had a little bit of musical freedom. At what point, uh, uh, or was there a point where uh, where the backseat uh, listeners got a chance to uh, express their musical vision, or um, or did you have to come back to Canada before uh, that all started to happen? Well, it's kind of, I think it was called Sony Walkmans. Uh, you know, circa 1983 or something when we had our musical freedom. We, we never got control of the tape deck, but you could certainly throw your headphones on with a Sony Walkman at a certain point. But, you know, I, I yeah, around 11 or 12, I suddenly, and my dad had this vast music collection, like, like uh, vinyl, you know, uh, that went for days. And, and it was around 11 that I started realizing that I wanted to play this and I wanted to play that. And it was, it was generally, you know, Bob Dylan, Beatles, Paul, you know, Paul, Simon and Garfunkel were, were the, were the stuff that he listened to that I would then listen to. Uh, and the Beatles were my first love without a doubt. And, and the interesting thing about my journey with music was that I went through the Beatles, the way the world went through the Beatles. So I was very attracted initially to I Want to Hold Your Hand and All, all My Love and, and all those early songs. And I, I listened to his greatest hits, you know, 1964 to, you know, 1963, 64, 65. And then I, I found Rubber Soul and I, that just like blew my mind. And, and then it was Sgt. Pepper's and then it was White Album. And my, I, my musical maturity just started to evolve with the Beatles the way it did for the entire world. And, uh, and I just started listening to those albums over and over again. And then 
my very first love, the first time that I actually heard a band that had nothing to do with my parents that I fell in love with and had to get on a bus as an 11 year old and travel across London to the record store that was closest that was like 45 minutes away was the police. And it was to go buy Outlandish Demore and then it was to buy Regatta de Blanc. And those were my first albums that were mine and mine alone. It had nothing to do with my, my parents or my siblings. I bought those albums and I wore them out. You have pretty good taste. Thank you. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> You're just. But I still feel. So I still far. feel like I don't know. I very rarely met anybody else that had a, a huge love of the police. I mean, you know, to this day, I don't. I don't hear people talk about them. I know they're a huge band, but it's a, it's the a sort of band. I think there's lots of them out there. They're 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 popular. They're on the radio a lot, so people just sort of take them for granted. But how many people love them? Love them from the day one. Can sing along to all their songs can you know can can sing along to peanuts on you know their first album like and appreciate uh uh you know some of the some of the nuances of that band right there's not i don't know that that's that common but they were absolutely my first love i kind of wonder if they fall in the same thing as uh because they were overexposed and then and then sting had his you know his thing with his tantric sex and it's like you you, you kind of got a bit like you're oh, a bit weird or a wee bit tainted but i kind of think of that as phil collins was way overdone and i go back to genesis and duke as one of my favorite albums you know but people are like oh genesis that's really um schmaltzy you know like it's it was so pop and i'm like it really wasn't and i wonder if police fell into that crap for many people well, it's so interesting you mentioned that because I, I think of, you know, albums in my early years, uh, early teen years um, that I that I wore out and Genesis, Genesis, you know, that album with Mama on it. And, and you know, mm. that one, I wore that out. It, it, it's just it's an amazing album. I almost never hear it on, on the radio, never heard it played. It, that was an amazing album. Um, and, you know, frankly, probably one of my top three albums of all time is Bill Collins Space Value. And, you know, everybody just associates that album with In the Air Tonight, which was a great song. It's probably the song that I, when I play that album today, I skip it because every other song on that album is mind blowing. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, every song is is so incredible and, and brings us so, such emotion to it. Um, and so, yeah, Phil, Phil Collins had that reputation because he has so much music that's trendy and poppy. I think sometimes you lose sight of the fact that there was some brilliant stuff with Genesis and with and with his solo career. I just like to see you do the drum solo. <laughs> I wish I could do that drum solo. School dance drum solo, <laughs> which we all did. <laughs> hey, uh, so you know, was Sony Walkman in Canada? Uh, was that the Canada years? Like, you know, when? No, did that, that was that was large Germany for me when Sony Walkman yeah. came. In. So I yeah. I spent. So 11, 12 was London, England for me. So that's when the police came out. That's when I was, was falling in love with them and, and the Beatles. And then I moved to uh, West Germany for three years. So that was grade nine, 10, 11. Um, and, you know, that's when you start to, to broaden your horizons a little bit. And I started to play guitar during that time. And, and, and um, you start, you know, high school. So you start hearing about bands from other people. And you're not just exposed to what your parents listen to. However, the interesting thing for me was I was in Germany. So there was no radio for me, right? I wasn't yeah, listening yeah. to German radio. So if you heard music, it was because your parents played it or you had a buddy who had a tape or you made mixtapes and you traded them around and, and uh, or you bought your own. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. 
uh, uh, the um, so can you comment on the differences between life in Germany in terms of high school and then high school in Ottawa? Last couple of years, I think you spent in Ottawa. And, you know, Chris and I talked about this before about factions in high school in terms of like, were there many divisions in high school in Germany as opposed to Canada, you know, in terms of you had to fit in somewhere or, you know, did you, did you like enough things that you could fit in with different people? And were there factions in terms of like, you just saw like the goth crowd and, and uh, metal crowd and, and, you know, mod crowd. Uh, was there that? Um, not, uh, not, not associated with music so much, uh, though I'm sure there were musical divisions along those lines. But when I was in Germany in grade 9, 10, 11, I was actually a DJ at our local youth center. And so, you know, music for me was largely centered around being in this DJ booth with the, with the, uh, with the lights, you know, uh, all around me and the, and the, and the disco ball and, and, you know, controlling all the lights and all the music and just figuring out what do people want to hear? What do they want to dance to? When is it time to put the slow song on? When is it time to kick in air supply? When is it time to crank it up with Jackson 5? Whatever, right? And you're just trying to console. That was really my first introduction to, to understanding how, you know, uh, musical rhythm worked and who, who likes what and what get a, get a crowd going at a certain time. And, uh, and, 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 and understanding that what you like isn't necessarily what other people like. So sometimes you got to play soft sell, which I couldn't stand. But, I, you know, it was a crowd favorite. So I got to play that. Um, and then I get back to Canada in grade 12, and um, I, I, was, I was probably pretty disconnected from music during those two years, just trying to figure out how to fit in with a new crowd and um, in a new city. Um, but uh, things cranked up when I got to, when I got to Queens um, uh, first year. What was your DJ name? Uh, you know what? I wasn't cool enough to have one. I, I didn't even, that was a problem being in Germany. We, we didn't know that we should all have DJ names. Like we didn't know how to be really cool because we're completely separate. This is like way before social media, right? There's not, we yeah. had no TV. We had no radio. We're just like suddenly 500 kids living in some small you know, base in West Germany. And we have no idea. We're just kind of making up cool as we went along. So uh, are you I sure it wasn't? Are you sure it was in East Germany by the sounds of things? <laughs> you could be mistaken for that. We had some fun though. It wasn't that bad. We were we were we were pretty cool with our bell bottoms and you know we had we had we had some things that you know we had going on. How many times did you play 99 Luftballons? Oh, <laughs> and then do you play it in English or do you play it in German? These are these are decisions you had to make because we're in Germany too. So you know, most of the German kids version was far hotter. It was, it was great. And scorpions, scorpions was always a big hit. You know, they were German, and you know, so yeah. You had every to time I things. see you, I'm going to play soft sell. I guarantee it. I'm going to play tainted love every time I see you. That's going to be your walk-on song Awful. from now on. Awful song. Welcome to the first tee, Jock Climbing. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's going to have the excuse like, I got an eight on that hole because that fucking song. <laughs> I never mentioned that. <laughs> um, getting, you getting know, back to getting back to Canada was uh, interesting because that was the first uh, uh, first time I was exposed to live music. I mean, there was no going to concerts in Germany. Like, you know, no one came to our little town. Um, so that was interesting to start thinking about. Oh, you know, who do I want to see? And and and, and having my first experiences with that. What was your mm -hmm. first experience then? Like, was it high school? Yeah, my first experience was, uh, believe it or not, U two. Um, uh, in during the war uh, the war tour 
and uh, I was I was second second row right in front of the edge uh, at the Civic Center uh, in Ottawa, uh, and it was a mind blowing experience. Like you memorized the three chords. <laughs> <laughs> you can play three chords like no business uh you know but it was i mean they had so much energy and 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 wow that, it was you know they, they they had these people in front who were just like spraying water on people just to keep us from passing out and we were just jumping up and down and and uh, i was 15 years old or whatever it was it was incredible and the next concert i saw was brian adams which was equally mind-blowing uh, and i was in the same place second row uh you know thousands of people uh that high i don't know if you guys experienced that you know those first concerts that that music live music high um it's nothing like it i've been chasing it for the rest of my life well yeah and that that i was thinking about this today uh, with your did you take your kids to any concerts so i know today like i mean when your kids go to concerts you go with them and i'm like geez louise and you know my upbringing i'm like this would not be happening i'm like you don't need to see how i behave here <laughs> i just can't imagine that yeah i know I've, I've taken to i've taken them to a few concerts um and that was fun to see them react but they were you know they were young we went to see bruno mars in montreal for example a few years ago and um you know Jaden, who was probably i don't know seven or something just had his you know hands over his ears the entire concert because it was too loud for him and then my two girls were just jumping up and down like beside themselves they were so giddy with excitement um but that's fun to see your kids experience what i experienced you know at u2 and in bright apps just that rush of live music i was the bad parent who uh who took my kid to uh an all-ages punk show of a band that he enjoyed a great band out of florida called against me and uh the toronto shows were all 19 19 and up but i found one in uh, kitchener <laughs> and uh I, I called a friend from kitchener and told him where the show was and he said are you mental like you're not going to take your kid to that place there's shootings there and which was all myth but uh to see uh to see my kid um relate in that exact same way to to the show to the energy of the show to the uh to i've used the term before but that mule kick uh to the chest from the uh from the bass drum and just that energy it's it's liquid and and it's just an incredible experience so uh um uh it's uh it's, it's just a great it's it's a great thing now my parents didn't take me to any punk shows but but at different times different times different times absolutely <laughs> hey, um, you were talking about how your your dad pretty much forced his his likes on you, and so you guys were old enough to have your your Sony Walkman. And um, how about with your kids? Um, a conscious effort to say you got to listen to this album. You know this this is my favorite album. Would they take to that, or is it a more subtle approach? Um, you know, did you think about it at all, or just let them do their thing? But I think you know there's a lot of music in your house and. Um, and also like cottages and you've got that guitar going all the time. Like, um, did they follow your lead or, or how did that work? Yeah. Um, uh, kids have a mind of their own and just, just, just as I did, I suppose. Uh, so music is always going in my house. Always. Um, maybe even annoyingly so to, to, to some who aren't used to that, but, um, there was always music going on. Uh, and so my kids have just had that, but I've never said you should sit down and listen to this. I might just say, Hey, you might like this. 
group or you might like the song or something, but I just have it on. And, and, and now it's, you know, now that they're 18, 16 and 13, it's interesting how uh, similar to how I caught on to some of the things that my dad played and other things I didn't, it's now turned out that my kids are the same way. Um, uh, but the difference is music is so accessible now that it's just easy for them to say, Hey, can I, can I, can I jump in on that and put my own song on Spotify now? Can I just, can we get in the car immediately? Both of my girls will immediately, as soon as we get in the car, say, can we play our, our music? Now that was really exceptionally painful until they got to be 12 or 13, because all they wanted to listen to from the age of three to 13 was top 40. And I can't stand top 40. It's painful. And uh, that's all they wanted. And so it's been this amazing musical journey to watch them progress out of that. Uh, start saying, hey, dad, can you play that album that you play that I like? To, hey, dad, can you play this album that I play that you like? To just play this, I don't care if you like it. This is my new band and hopefully you will like it. Um, and they're now they're just off in all directions. And it's so different um, music today in terms of how even I, I just, I'm, I'm into a lot of new music. I, I, I don't all that often. I probably only 20% of the time I might listen to old stuff. I am constantly listening to the new stuff, but it's just how you consume music is so different today because there's a gazillion bands out there and you have access to all of them and there's all these playlists. So you just put random playlists on and you find the songs you like and you slap them into your own playlist and then you listen to your own playlist as opposed to listening to albums. Whereas when we grew up, it was albums and maybe best ofs and you'd listen to those greatest hits, right? And now my kids don't, they, they, they might have two or three artists that they listen to consistently, that's it. And everything else is just like 50 songs from artists that they probably couldn't even name that just like the song. Have you, uh, have you come across a record, song, piece of music that they have put on that you have uh, put on when they're not around? something you you actually liked and uh you would cite them as your influence for finding it yeah that's a great question I, I i have not yet quite gotten to the point of putting on what they would listen to but the closest i've come is probably harry styles who is incredible and i will say to my daughter when she's around hey why don't you why don't you play harry um because uh, he's just amazing and i've learned some of his songs on guitar and and uh, and the other is billy eilish who both of my girls are huge fans of. And again, very happy to have her on whenever they're around. Um, but I, I, I don't know that I've actually gotten to the point of listening to them when, to any of the, my kids' music, when they're like, they have playlists on my Spotify, I won't play their playlists. Um, what I did do a couple of times is, is come up with playlists of songs that they like and I like. So all the songs that they like, and then I will go through all of them and I'll pick out the ones that I like and we'll create a family playlist. And now that's safe to absolutely play on the boat when we're out cruising around or at the cottage or whatever. Um, and that's really fun to do, but I still won't listen to it if they're not around. It's very democratic. It is. Uh, I guess I, I, I have tried to be that way. Maybe I'm just trying to go, go with a different direction as my dad, but which, you know, and I don't resent my dad for it at all. I hope, I hope it doesn't sound like I do. It was just, that's just like, that's how it was. And I probably, you know, I heard way too much opera than I, than I'd ever want to hear, but you know, it was, it was good to be exposed to things. I otherwise wouldn't be. Hey, you were talking about uh, always having music on in the house. Do you, um, do you actually sit down? Like <laughs> I was telling Chris, I have a great friend, Tim McDermott who uh, 
every night he sits down, he has the most killer system on the couch in front of the system and will actually, actually consciously listen to an entire side of an album. That is it, not to be interrupted by anyone. His family understands this and they're, they're quite into it too. Um, but do you, do you actually consciously put on an album and say, not interrupted, listening to every song? I've only, I've only done that once in 25 years. And that was sitting on your couch, Brad, listening to Dire Straits on your turntable when you weren't home. So, uh, and that's how I discovered, rediscovered vinyl. Please tell me it was love over gold. <laughs> Please. <laughs> no. Um, uh, and uh, I, I haven't done it since. I hadn't done it before in years, but it was, it was that sound from, from, a, from vinyl that I had lost and forgotten uh, was, was, you know, you feel it in your bones. And I actually sat there drinking a beer out of your fridge, Brad, and uh, when you were home, um, and uh, and just enjoyed this enjoyed this experience, and didn't do anything. I wasn't reading a book, I wasn't watching TV, I wasn't talking to a friend. I was just sitting there. But I, otherwise, no, I'm always doing something. I'm always cleaning. I'm cooking. I'm working. I'm talking to somebody. Um, I I I'm, I'm my brain doesn't work that way. I, I I have to have I have to have a little more stimulation than just listening to music. Do you, uh, um, back to the roots of that, do you, um, do you connect um, certain music to a, to a time and place? Uh, obviously you have, you may have Nana Muscuri and or uh, Roger Whitaker whistling in the mountains uh, in the Alps <laughs> as you tried to crawl up the hill in your uh, Volkswagen bus. But uh, is there, uh, is there, is there a band, let's say from the Ottawa days, is there, is there a band that every time you hear it, you connect exactly to a time and a place, be it Ottawa, be it Kingston or other. I mean, uh, is there is there just one that grabs you and instantly you're where you heard it or the place that you associate the music with? Um, so, so certainly Bob Dylan and, and driving through Europe in, in the van as a kid um, always comes rushing back. And then the other the other you know band that probably I associate with something in particular uh, is a tragically hip. Um, and as you guys, you know, may recall that the Tragically Hip were, uh, you know, just a bar band when we got to, to Queens and, you know, circa 1986. And they were a band that I hated. Um, uh, you know, every time you went to a bar and they were on the billboard outside, you know, saying Tragically Hip tonight, um, I'd be encouraging everyone to turn around and leave for two reasons. One, when the hip were playing, A, it was too loud to talk to girls, and B, they didn't, you couldn't dance, you couldn't dance with music, you couldn't dance with girls. If you can't dance with a girl and you can't talk to a girl, what's the point of being in there? So I'd be telling everyone, let's leave. And that was, so I hated the well, hip. It was ideal for me and Chris because we had no game. So we were like, this is perfect. No excuses. I was just about to say, that's exactly why I went to see bands because there wasn't going to be any girls anyway. So I may as well go check. There's beer and no girls. So who cares, right? Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I was a little shallower back then, I guess. Um, uh, so it was off to the Kokomo for me or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I, and I, I resented the hip, you know, during those years because they were just, they seemed to be ubiquitous. It was like every time you turn around, the freaking hip were there. Um, and so for a lot of years, even when they came out with Up to Here, um, uh, I, I just refused to listen to them. Uh, but I, someone finally pushed me to, to, to give them a shot. I don't remember who it was, but somebody said, you, you know, you really need to sit down and listen to this band. And I finally gave them a shot and, you know, they're, they're, they're you know top top five band maybe three in my life for sure 
Um, was that fully completely time or was it before that? Uh, it was probably Road Apple's time, but it, I, yeah, I yeah. discovered up to here first and then Road Apple's. And um, But I, it was probably early 90s that I finally decided to give them a chance. Um, and so when you talk about taking it back to a time, by the time I got to playing with the Alouettes in 1996, um, I had a routine. And from 96 till I retired in 2001, before every game, I listened to the Tragically Hip. Only the hip. From the time I woke up to the time I went to the stadium, it was the hip and nothing but the hip all day long as I psyched myself up to get ready for the game. So it really brings me back to those to those days. I used to love those days. I mean, you know, when you're playing professional football, game day is sacred. There's nothing to do all day long until you have to get to the stadium at 5 o'clock or if you have an afternoon game, you get in there at 11, but most of the games are at night. You have nothing to do other than just relax. You're supposed to get off your feet. You're just supposed to you know, do a lot of mental visualization and listen to music. And it, for me, it was nothing but the hip. So, so that, that leads me to, to something I thought about and I needed to ask you. And there's an old adage that says, um, athletes, athletes only want to be musicians. Musicians only want to be athletes. Uh, and uh, A, I want to know if that's true. And B, um, having had your foot in both uh, bits of water on that, um, I, I want to know which side you relate most to. I I'd like to know um, because... Uh, I mean, uh, you do love music, you play very well. And uh, I'd like to know, do you relate to music as, uh, uh, as, as the athlete who wants to be a musician or the musician who, uh, who, who uh, connects more to athletics? Oh, I, I definitely am a wannabe rock star and, and wannabe is the operative word. I mean, um, when, you're, when you're playing professional sports, you, you, you obviously realize you've, you've reached sort of the, the, the top of the game. Right. And and we made decent money to, to entertain a lot of people. Um, no one ever paid to, to watch me <laughs> entertain anybody musically. But that the idea of that was absolutely thrilling, like the, the idea that someone would pay to come watch me play. And so I was actually really, really lucky because I got to I got to live the rock star experience without um, uh, having to have a, a lot of talent because it became known, particularly when I was in Montreal, it became known all around town that I played guitar. And whenever I was in a bar and there was a live band up there, somebody would invariably tell the band, Jock Climby's here and he plays guitar and they would call me up on stage. And I, you know, I've had this amazing experience of, you know, you know, getting up there and they throw a guitar on me and they whisper in my ear, what do you know how to, what do you know how to play? And I rhyme off a few that I knew, or, you know, this one, yeah, I can play along with that. And, and then I got to just, be a rock star for one or two songs in front of sometimes it was five people. Sometimes it was 500. Sometimes it was like a couple of times it was like thousands. Um, I remember going on stage and, and uh, being pulled up on stage by the blushing brides. Remember those guys? Yeah. Stones yeah. cover band. Yeah. Stones cover band. And, and they had the Crescent street in Montreal was shut down for a concert with these guys. It was thousands of people. Um, and they pulled me up on stage and uh, I got to be a rock star for like two songs. Um, so uh, that's yeah, absolutely what um, I have wanted to be and wished I could be. And, I, and I've, I've known other professional athletes who, who feel the same way. Um, so it, there's no question. There are lots of athletes who want to be rock stars. And I've met I've lots of rock stars who would call me up on stage or I'd meet backstage who would say the same thing to me. All I want to do is catch a pass in front of thousands of people. And so, yeah, we always want what we don't have, right? Exactly. Hey, um, locker rooms. Um, I remember at Queens um, locker room, there was music, but was it someone just bringing a cassette? 
And uh, I, I can't even remember like really anything. Was there someone who controlled that room? And, and what I really want to know is when you're a young athlete, uh, I mean, a young professional, just, you know, making, trying to not be too noticed, you know, fit in with the, with the older guys and, and the veterans, um, that transition, you know, do you, do you get any say in the music? Who controlled the locker room, you know? And when did you get to control the locker room, you know, as a, never, as a veteran? I never did. So it, it was uh, actually a fascinating um, social um, uh, experiment to, to figure out how are you going to uh, uh, bring these disparate groups together? So we're talking about uh, black Americans from the South, black Americans from the North, white Americans from the South, white Americans from the North, black Canadians, white Canadians and Francophones. And you put them all into one locker room, tell them to be a team, tell them they all got to get along, tell them they all got to win football games together. And oh, by the way, there's one stereo system. So figure it out. And it was, it was a, it was a battle. Um, and, and, and not, and not a pleasant one to, to, to witness. I mean, uh, you'd, you'd have hardcore rap going on. And then the next second, some 300 pound lineman would say enough of that and go in there and slap some country music in there. And then some, you know, hillbilly from Alabama would go there and say, I want to see ZZ Top. And they, you know, and then it would change, it would change. And it was, it was a real, it was a power dynamic um, as to who, you know, who would get to play what they wanted to play. And you, you risk every time you put something in there, you'd risk someone going, what the hell is that? And so, you know, if my, I'm not putting Bob Dylan on in the CFL uh, locker room, like that's not happening. I'll be ridiculed by absolutely everybody. So I, I, you know, and I obviously liked other bands, but even if I wanted the Counting Crows or, you know, Bare Naked Ladies or something like you risked ridicule. But if you put some hardcore rap song or some, you know, you know, total country song on or some, you know, uh, some rock song, hardcore rock, you're not no one's going to laugh at you. Right. Because it's still it's still yeah. appropriate for a football locker room. And frankly, the type of music that was appropriate for football locker room, I was never into. So I just went along with it. Nice. Um, I, I want to know who, uh, um, you know, you, you've, uh, you, you've had the, uh, the professional football guys, the broadcasting guys, the school guys, the legal career guys. I want to <laughs> know, I want to know about somebody who surprised you, someone who pulled a rabbit out of the hat, somebody who you absolutely were blown away by something musical that they introduced to you, something that they mentioned to you, a nugget of knowledge that, knew, that they knew. I mean, someone that you least expected to, to come up with something that you said, right on, that's, you know, something you pursued or, or just, uh, I, I like the, um, I, I like the mystery of someone just coming out and 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 blowing you away with an idea and influence a group, and and it's more interesting if it's somebody that you completely didn't expect. Have you come across? I mean, any in any of those realms, someone who you least least thought would pull that one out. Well, my my children would fit into that category for sure. I never thought my children would introduce me to anything that I thought was interesting or I didn't already know, and and they have. But I guess in terms of musical influences, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought that the guys I live with in university are going to are going to introduce me to music that I don't already like. Um, but uh, you know, living with 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 that group of guys that Brad's included in, um, 
was was that experience because every day there's somebody bringing something to the table, um, bringing a brand, a band that you'd never heard of. Um, and again, it's so different back then. This is this is before Spotify. Uh, this is before Napster. Um, if you're going to discover music, it's it's you haven't you probably haven't heard it on the radio. You've probably heard it at some of the other guy, some other guy's house, and you've probably borrowed his tape. You, if you liked it, you, you you made a copy of the tape, and then you then you forced your your roommates to listen to it. Um, and you 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 risk ridicule if you play something that everybody thinks is stupid. And so all that has to happen before you can kind of go, wow, that's really cool. And you know, I remember in our house was full of you know stuff like Tears for Fears and Beautiful South and Squeeze and style council and Andrew Cash and prefab sprout and, you know, bands like that, that I wouldn't have found them on my own. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, the, 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 the two big albums for me in first year university, the two albums I wore out because they came out right at the same time was Peter Gabriel's So, uh, and Paul Simon's Graceland. I just had those two ping ponging back and forth, um, day in, day out. And then I moved in with this group of five other guys and now I'm being exposed to all this other music. And, uh, that, 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 that probably set me on my, you know, my musical journey. Cause you know, everyone was so passionate about it. Nice. You know, it's, you know, it's funny. It makes me think of that as uh, keeping a, a cassette tape at that time, uh, too long. And I remember, you know, being in love with Tamsin who lived across the street from us and, uh, and she uh, introduced me to the stranglers. And I love that. And yet I didn't want to give it back. So I avoided her for a week. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of stuff was definitely happening. And then it, there, you lost friendships over people who wouldn't give their tape back, your tape back, especially the mixtapes that you slaved over. Oh. Hey, um, well, it, it would be a disservice not to mention, because I think your, your connection, um, with Robbie, um, who you found later in life after you found your birth mom, and then you found Robbie, your cousin that you never, uh, you know, had never met before. And Robbie's a professional musician. And you guys had a crazy connection right from the get go. And it might have been other things, but I think music was a huge part of that. And, um, and I'd love for you to talk about that in terms of like, is that your strongest musical connection with anyone, you know? And, um, and, and part of it's probably the introduction of different music and, and this and that, but you guys play and I don't know, it's a magical connection, you know, and I'm around, I'm just like, oh, I'm going to take a back seat here because these guys are just going to go in their own little world. And I love it. It's great. So uh, I just love for you to talk about, you know, how your life changed uh, with Robbie. Yeah, I'll never forget um, my introduction to Robbie because um, I, I first found my, my birth mother, as you mentioned, back in 1998. So I was uh, 27 or so and I called her up and uh, after a long search and we you know got the introduction. And so we started with a phone call and we talked for three hours the first night. And in that call, she kept on bringing up this cousin of mine named Robbie Driscoll, who she said, I'm going to love. And, uh, you know, when someone is constantly hypes somebody else, you don't, you, 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 it actually it could be the kiss of death. But she kept on saying, oh, my God, you sound, you sound alike. I've seen your picture. You look alike. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's you, but white. Um, and uh, so anyway, the, the same thing was, I found out later was happening to him. Everyone was saying, you got to meet this guy. You got to meet this guy. So out of, out of more because of pressure from the, from the family, 
uh, Robbie came up to Montreal and I was playing for the Alouettes to spend a weekend with me. So here's a, a guy, 22 years old, going to visit a, a long lost cousin who's 27 that plays pro football that he's never met before and he gets off the train and I pick him up and now we're thrust together and we're expected. Everyone in this new family of mine expects us to hit it off and um, he doesn't know a thing about sports. He's never watched a football game in his life. You know, he's like a fish out of water. Um, but he's he's just come off of spending two years trying to make a go of it as a professional musician in, the, in a rock band. And uh, he's finally given up the dream and decided to go go back to school. And uh, anyway, you're absolutely right, Brad. Music was our instant connection. And to this day, it, it still is. I mean, um, you know, we're obviously capable of relating on, on, other, on other planes, but it always comes back to music. It, it's what we talk about, uh, you know, uh, every time we speak. And, um, uh, and then, you know, playing together, uh, writing songs together, recording songs together uh, through, through this pandemic, uh, my daughter and I have started writing songs together and, and recording them and sending the tracks to him and he'll put bass and drums and send them back. And I'll say, okay, can you change the bass part? Can you add a background vocal to this or change the drums? And we'll send the files back and forth till we get a song. All this is born from those those early days when we first got together when we were recording songs on my four track in my attic till three in the morning drinking scotch. And, you know, so that, that's how music, that, that, that how, how it runs so deep. But uh, it's been really interesting to, to uh, see somebody whose musical tastes are similar, but not identical. So he's introduced me to stuff that I wouldn't otherwise know and, and I'm doing the same for him. Um, and I'm always proudest that I introduced him to Elliot Smith before he ever heard of him. And that's Elliot Smith is still, you know, one of his favorites of all time and one of mine. And he's introduced me to bands that even he's passed on, but I haven't, like the Weepies, you know, he introduced me to them and they're one of my favorite bands and he kind of had a little moment with them and kind of passed, passed, passed along. But uh, we're constantly feeding music back and forth to each other. He loves Spoon, that's, you know, one of his favorites. And so I wouldn't have discovered Spoon if it wasn't for him. So, you know, constantly having somebody uh, expose you to different things is fantastic. Hey, um, you touched on... Um creating music with your daughter. And I have a confession, because um, you sent me that one song that, mind blowing, um, that she wrote and you guys put together and her voice. And I thought her words were amazing. And um, last week I, I shared it with Chris, uh, told him not to share it any further, but uh, that, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, what's your connection? Like, when did that happen? Did it, did it take Robbie for that to happen? You know, for the three of you, for her or, and was it her that pressed the issue? Was it you? Like, how did that kind of come to be? Cause it's pretty special now. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I think we were talking uh, a while ago. It doesn't happen as often as, as you maybe like, but uh, when it does, geez, she brings it and you guys are, it's magical. Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, so, uh, by, the, by the time she was, I don't know, six or seven, we realized that she could sing pretty well. Um, and then by the time she was 11, I thought she might have something special. So I started, I mean, the first thing I, I think I played was a Justin Bieber song um, and Love Yourself. And she sang along to that. And so I, I decided I'm going to start recording this. So every time we learn a song together, I'd put the phone down and put the video on and just record the two of us playing and singing it. And I've got like dozens of these songs now over the last five years that we've done together. Um, and so, you know, whenever she, whenever I heard a song that I thought she'd sing well and I could play, or she heard a song that she thought she could sing and I could play, we would record this song. And then um, probably about three years ago, uh, she's 16 now, she was probably 13 or 14. Um, I had written a song, music, like with guitar, but I couldn't figure out a melody. 
Um, I had I had lyrics and but the guitar was actually more complex than I normally do and I'm not that talented and I thought she might be and I just said hey can you come up with a melody to this and she came up with a melody that freaking blew my socks off and effortlessly like like it took her no time to come up with something that I struggled and struggled and couldn't come up with anything and uh so we recorded the song so with my guitar you know of composition and words and her melody and so I try to use that to say hey why don't you try um you know why don't you try you know coming up with something and I, I said you need to learn an instrument so she I got our ukulele for Christmas and she started plinking away on that and then piano a little bit and so she uh, then she wrote a song about um my divorce with her mother uh, my ex um and she sat down with a ukulele and said what do you think of the song i've just written it and she played the song that if 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 i didn't realize i needed to be tough and stoic i'd be bawling she played it for my ex-wife and she bawled like it was like I, i'll have to send it to you it's it's one of the most incredible pieces of music i've ever heard um but it's obviously poignant it's written from the standpoint of a 15 year old and seeing her parents you know fall in love with and divorce um, and then, uh, you know, COVID hit and that was really the impetus to say, hey, let's get into this. And Robbie is, we got a professional musician at our disposal. It's not like I'm just tinkering around trying to figure out how to use GarageBand here. We got someone who can play it all. He, he can play guitar, he can play piano, he can play bass, and he can put it up and he knows how to use all the software. Um, and so I got her into it um, and, she, you know, we probably did, you know, two or three songs that way. And then she got to be a typical teenager and it's just like, you know, Netflix is more important and talking to her friends is more important. And so it's been a bit of a, a bit of a struggle to get her into that. But I just, you know, she's, she's in a musical theater program and she does a lot of music at school and, you know, playing music with her dad isn't quite so cool anymore. You know, I think she had, you know, when she's 15, it was fun. And then it's just kind of like, eh, yeah. and now she says, dad, like, I can't do an album with you and Robbie. Like, that's just, just that's just too stupid. That's not, that's not cool. I got to do my own thing. I'm like, what could be cooler than an album with your uncle and your dad? She doesn't see it that way, unfortunately. I think they call that good parenting. <laughs> if, she, if, if she has the gumption to to point the ship in her own direction, then you have done more than a capable job in terms of introducing her to music, um, doing it with her, which I'm sure is magic. And, and I, I get to do that a bit in my house too. And, uh, but I, I, I think there has to be satisfaction in her saying that. And, and she's not doing it to be mean. So well, she's always careful to say, I, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not gonna hurt your feelings, dad. I just, I just gotta do my own thing. I'm like, okay. that she's ready to do her own thing. Yeah. But one, one of the really fun things is I, I now can, I can, I can pull her in now because I, I decided I'm going to start sort of recording some of my old songs that I wrote years ago. I was like, I got all this time on my hands. Like, why not use Robbie? Let's re record some old stuff and then I'll get her to sing backup. So I'll say, hey, honey, can you come over here and help me with this harmony? And that's, she's, she's fully down with that. Like, and because she can do, she can do, I can't, I can't come up with a harmony to save my life. She can do it in five seconds and like these beautiful harmonies. Um, so, so we've been doing some of that too, which is fun. So the deal is, it's like, if you ask for help, that's the, that's the game. Exactly. That's, that's mm. a great way of putting it. If I ask for cooperation or collaboration, not so much, but honey, can you please help me? Your old dad's a bit of an idiot. He needs help. She's there <laughs> to the rescue. That's all I had to say. Dad's an idiot. <laughs> you may have revealed the secret that could sell a million books, Jock. I mean, that, that, <laughs> something to this. 
turning this podcast into a self-help parenting uh, course. I could use some self-help. <laughs> hey, um, uh, a few things about your creative process, because I've known you, you know, uh, there's ups and downs in terms of like, you know, life is great, life isn't great, you know, be it professionally, be it personally. And and I, just like many artists, you've said a long time ago, I wonder if this is still true, but you're like, I can't create anything unless I'm depressed. You know, uh, you know, when things are going good, I have got nothing to, to produce, you know, and is that still the same? Like, because um, I know you're creating stuff with, uh, with, uh, with your daughter and Robbie and, and going through some old stuff. So uh, are you depressed now? <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's probably why I haven't written much. I mean, I, I've probably written from scratch three songs in the last five years. And I used to do that in a, in a week um, when, you know, I was, you know, 20s angst, you know, um, trying yeah. to figure out where, where life is going and uh, you get fat and happy and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a different deal, but without, without a doubt. And I see it in artists all the time, right? You just see it in artists, you know, they're, they're never, they're never at their, at their best other than when they're, they just had their heart broken or they're strung out in drugs or, you know, whatever. And they get successful and they get rich and they get fat and they get happy and their music just dries up. And the true artists, you know, I shouldn't say the true artists, the, the, the real brilliant artists are the ones that can continue to create great music despite the ups and downs in their lives because they have songwriting down to a, to a craft right? Like Don Mayer is a guy that I think of in, in those terms, right? Like he, he, he can't write a bad song. Donovan Woods is the same way. They can't write a bad song because they figured out songwriting as a, almost like a science. Uh, they, it's not like this inspiration that wells up in them when things are just terrible and it just it comes pouring out of them. They can sit down and like take their pen out and their paper and say, I'm going to work, put the hard hat on and come up with a magical song. And there, there aren't that many artists in the world, as far as I'm concerned, that can do that. Um, I think a lot of artists are just, you know, it's just their emotion and, the, and whatever's going on in their lives, it, it creates this inspiration that comes pouring out of them. Um, I, I, I was just thinking about this the other day in terms of, uh, you know, I, I tried to write and, uh, you know, I was quite into that. But I also, uh, when I was... I would always read something like that would get me in the mood to write. I'd always read Davis Sedaris because I, that for some reason I just clicked with him and that was like the style that I wanted to write. And then I was, uh, um, I watched uh, hip hop evolution and I'm stealing this is, uh, you know, Timberland and Missy Elliott uh, worked together on in her first album. They made sure they did not listen to radio. They just wanted to be inside their heads, create a future sound, create something and zero outside influences. I'm wondering for you, uh, is there something that you listen to go, you go, okay, I'm in that place. And, you know, as an athlete, you already said, you listened to the hip for like five years in a row before a game. And that got you into the mode of like, okay, I'm super focused for creating music. Is, it, is there a couple albums that you'll kind of ease into in that week and you go, okay, I'm ready now. I, I won't specifically listen to music before writing something, but I can listen to something that will make me want to write something. So, you know, probably the two artists that do that most, I've already mentioned them, are Bob Dylan and John Mayer. Like, I will, I will just be sitting doing something and have them on and now think, I, I, all I want is to be able to write a song half as good as that one. And then that will get me thinking, why don't I try? Like, and it might evoke, a, a, like, you know, Bob Dylan with his lyrics and, and John Mayer with his melodies 
and his guitar will make me think, you know, let me just try something that's even, you know, close to that. Um, and, you know, John Mayer is this incredible uh, guitar player um, who, who cannot write a song that just has simple chords, right? I mean, I can play a lot of songs. I can't play any of his songs because he refuses to sit down and write a song that's just got G, C, and D. He refuses because he's too good a guitar player. And I've heard him interviewed. He, he says he'll just get bored. If he's not doing something really complicated that sounds simple, he won't do it. So a lot of his songs are like poppy and very accessible. And yet the guitar playing, it's like, I can't play it. And I can play most guys' stuff. Um, and Bob Dylan lyrically, uh, there's no one, there's no one on the planet like him uh, in terms of where he can take you and the, 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 what you feel when you, when you, when you hear his words. And so uh, it is about that inspiration of like that just makes me want to write something. Time has to be a factor too. You don't seem to have a ton of time on your hands. Busy parent, busy professional. Your friends take up an extraordinary amount. Of your time. <laughs> not as much during COVID. So I, exactly. I, I really feel like there's, I have less of an excuse now and I, I, I wish I was doing more of it. Um, as I said, I, I sort of more focused on my daughter and her writing and, and then recording old songs and the recording process, uh, learning a new software. I mean, learning this software um, has been, uh, it's been really interesting. Um, and um, it's hard to do. And, and it's hard to learn how to record successfully, right? To do, um, it's one thing to just pick up your guitar and play a song that you've written. It's another thing to figure out how to play along to a, to a click track and then how to, how to weave, you know, put layers on top of that. And, and so that's been, that's been really fun. And then I, I do hope, um, I really do hope that I will get back into writing. It's something that's in the back of my head that, um, it's funny, you know, like I keep trying to figure out how can you don't, how come you don't see many artists in their 50s and 60s who are writing hit songs anymore? And I've been trying to figure that out. And is that, you know, is it because they've already written too many hit songs, they don't have any more in them? Is it because nobody wants to hear what a 50 or 60 year old has to say? Uh, or is it because your creative genius, you know, dries up by then? But um, I, I do want to start writing again. It's not like I've ever written any great songs, but I've, I've written songs that I've been proud of. And I'm thinking, hey, can I still do it? Uh, I don't know. How therapeutic is the uh, is the process for you? Um, it, it, it's it's a way to get lost, right? Um, it, it really is a, a um, and it's a way to nourish nourish the soul. Is I guess how I how I feel about it. Um, uh, I just wish I was better at it. I mean, that's you know that's probably why I don't do it more. Um, especially now, right? You just like, all you got to do is, is go on Spotify and put on a playlist on and you're going to, you got to, you got to, you got to listen to a 50 song playlist. There won't be a single artist you've ever heard of before. And every song's amazing. And not every, not only are the songs amazing, but the recording process and the instrumentation and the, and the, and the musicianship is unbelievable. It's like, well, I'm not competing with those people. Like these people, like there's like, there's like a zillion of them out there now. Um, and, and so I, I get, you know, you have to give up on that. You have to forget about trying to compete with them. You just have to do it because you, because you love it. Right. I don't think, yeah, um, I don't, I don't think getting to getting to that level is, is the point. Um, mm -hmm. it's, 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 uh, being happy and accomplished in, and even getting to a point where you'd, you'd want to play your music for someone. That's a, that's a win in, in itself. 
Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Is to, to, to say, and and for me, it's actually occasionally I'll be in the car. I'm like, huh, I wouldn't mind playing some of my old songs or playing some of my daughter's songs. And when I'm when I'm happy to just drive in my car and listen to my old stuff and that I've played or recorded, or I'm like, if I'm happy to hear it, I remember hearing an artist. I remember it was Paul McCartney or somebody said that. It's like if if you if you're, if you're happy to listen to your own stuff, then it's a, then you've done something well. Uh, whereas you cringe every time you you hear your old stuff, then that's a bad sign. Um, so you're right that that is the goal um, and you know my kids love it and they sing along to my songs and my girlfriend loves it and she sings along to my songs and um, you know that's that's reward enough nice hey um, we're not going to take up too much more of your time um, this has been fun um, I learned a lot too geez Louise uh, <laughs> I, I got one question and this you know um, for the viewers at home Jock loves asking us questions, theoretical questions. What if you could in this situation, what would you do, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I'm interested, and this can be three different people, three different artists, um, but if you were to choose someone, a band, an artist, that you would, one of them, um, be backstage and see their concert. The second one, have dinner with. And the third one, party with. Um, what does that look like to you? Mm. Well, the artist I've, I've always wished I could have seen uh, uh, backstage, front of stage, whatever, would be Michael Jackson, um, without a doubt. I mean, I, I just, I don't recall if we had a chance to see him. We probably did, right? I mean, yeah. he probably I toured. Think, yeah, Victory Tour in uh, uh, Toronto, played Toronto and Montreal, and, and that would have been in um, late 80s. But it was Jock in Germany at the time. No, late '80s we were a queen, so that so yeah. that uh, I, well, I ladies, vaguely yeah. remember him being in Montreal in, in Toronto. Yeah, Toronto. So, yeah. So uh, definitely, definitely that. Um, and in terms of uh, having dinner with, um, probably Paul Simon. Uh, he fascinates me. You know, uh, there's a guy who's written great music over decades and decades and, and uh, must have lived quite a life, right? Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> like the life he's lived, uh, he, he has some stories to tell. And what was the third category? Party with. Party, ooh, that's a good question. Probably. And, and you could be present day jock or a younger version of jock. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, I was gonna say, I was, I was, you know, I, I was gonna say Sam Roberts, but I have partied with him. Um, really loves that guy, and I just had a chance to hang out with him, drink beers, which was great. Um, I love Canadian rock artists. Um, uh, I had some beers with a Tragic Hip after an album, uh, 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 concert, which was amazing too. So that was that would they would have been on my list, and then I did it. Um, did you tell them how much you hated them? Uh, I didn't actually. Um, but Robbie Baker. If I saw their name on a marquee, I'd walk <laughs> away and make everyone go to Kokomo. I should have told them that. But Robbie Baker, actually, the, I think I got in because the manager recognized me and I was in line and we, we got in and, and hung out with him backstage. And Robbie Baker had actually been interviewed during a CFL game and he was asked if he's a CFL fan. And this is a lead guitarist for the tragedy hip. And, and he said, I'm not really a CFL fan, but um, I, I just follow, um, you know, Queens football players like Jock Climby. That's really all, I, all I'm a fan of. Hold and I just about fell oh. off my chair. So I, 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 I went up to him and said, like, you're my hero. And, and this is incredible. Um, so to party with probably, you know, who I'd love to party with is, uh, is Josh Ritter. 
that guy, uh, I mean, I love his music and I just got a feeling like he'd be a pretty cool guy to hang out and have some beers with. I, when I, when you're answering this, I was thinking, who would you not want to risk meeting, you know, risk having spending some time with, because, you know, like I, I was thinking Paul Simon, cause like you, you have a feeling he's going to be fascinating. You have a feeling you're going to talk about great stuff because he's done so much work in addition to his music, but you're like, God damn it. I don't want to risk this. You yeah, Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan fits in that category. I, I, I didn't, despite the fact that he's right at the top of my list. I, I don't want to meet him because he's, he's just, I, I suspect he's just going to disappoint me. Like he's, he's never at his, he's, he's, he's never better than when he's singing on an album, right? You can't get yeah. better than that. He's just, and I've seen some interviews with him and he's, you know, he's, it looks like a, you know, he's got a bit of an edge to him and he's, I've certainly read, I've read a couple of biographies and he's been a bit of a jerk in his life. And so I don't want I don't want anything to ruin that mystique. Chris, you got anything else for our friend Jack? I got to tell you, we covered more bases than I thought we were going to cover. <laughs> and I, this has been great, Jock. Great to see you again in person. I'd like to redo a trip to um, Nashville with you someday. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When the smoke clears, uh, it'll be great to see you again in person. It's been hey, fun, Jock, guys. Jock, I have one. The, the parting question that everyone gets is... Um, the whole idea of this, we're making you a mixtape. We're making the jock mixtape of what we've learned and and uh, <laughs> we'll have our fun with that. But uh, what's the style of mixtape you want? Like uh, previous guests, our friend Tim asked for a road trip tape. Um, what are you in the mood for? What, what, do you, what would you like to see us try and pull off? Well, um, uh, what I what I don't need is that kind of mellow vibe thing and the you know it's going on in the background when I'm you know working or you know just have some guests over and you see some music in the background. I've got like a ton of that. I do find it hard to 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 get you know a, a mix a playlist together of up tempo, you know get you hype, get you get you excited, get you wanting to to to, to have a few beers and and uh, maybe do a little dancing and you know I, I was like. You know, my my guilty pleasure is disco. I mean, I, I uh, you know, I lived through that in the late 70s. And that was one of my, I wouldn't say that I, I wasn't going out and I bought the Village People. That was one of the first albums I bought, now that I think of it. It's not that I liked them, but they were the cool thing. But I, I was affected by the Disco Sucks thing, right? Like the Disco Sucks movement killed disco for me. And I've only recently, like in the last 20 years, said that was stupid. Like that whole Disco Sucks thing was wrong. And it doesn't suck. It was great. And it still is great. Um, and yeah, so it's like, yeah, I, I was, you know, I hear the Bee Gees and it just gets me going. So, you know, something up-tempo um, that's going to get me in a good mood. That'd be pretty cool to have. Okay. I, I, think, uh, I think we played it out in my house once before of uh, dinner's over. And, uh, and that's when I got the nasty uh, note from my neighbor that we kept her up all night long. So. <laughs> and there so was one of those playlists. The nasty note from the neighbor playlist. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> That's neighbor side A and B. <laughs> well, my friend, love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, thanks for thanks for taking me down this musical memory lane. It's been incredible. All right, and um, the self help parenting book is on the way. And just remember, you need help. And you're an idiot and your daughter's going to love creating stuff with you as long as, as long as you establish that every day. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, guys. I'm going to I'm going to get out of here.
Ciao, ciao. Guys. Yeah. yeah. All right. See. You. Well, our friend Jock gave us a um, a nice little curveball. He gave us a lot of mellow bands, and then at the end, he asked us to make him a playlist that would be upbeat and super fun. So we did our best, and um, here we go. Chris and I are going to um, tell you what we came up with for uh, for Jock's upbeat playlist. Right. Um, that was a good, right. that, uh, that was a good, um, that was a great talk with Jock. Um, he completely throws a curveball by asking for an up. <laughs> he, he asked for, yeah, yeah. Give, give me a, a hype mix with no <laughs> hype song references or music references. So I know He's a pretty fun guy, but I, uh, here's what I like and uh, good luck with that. Jesus, it's such a Jock move. Really? I created a challenge and uh and and i did enjoy digging up some uh uh exhuming some some shells of references and things that i could throw in there so let's uh let's have at it right on. all right well <laughs> i i started with uh with drive my car beatles you know uh he mentioned the rubber soul album um uh, i think it's the first track off of it and um i have a confession i'm not a big beatles fan i know that everyone's gonna hate me but they've just never been it's never been that awesome for me. That's that's my my uh, my dirty secret is uh, that I share that with you. I've never been a Beatles guy, and I think the 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 cornerstone of my Beatles issue has absolutely nothing to do with the music, the production, anything like that. It's the fact that they played live about eighty times in their whole career. Yeah, and I am yeah. I'm a stickler for the live performance. And, um, and and I think I think that's why I mean I grew up with the records in my house. There's no no question about that, but um, it just never grabbed me. Yeah, and you know half of those if you said they played 80 times, uh, 10, 12, 15 of those times they were pulled off the stage in 15 minutes because the screaming oh, yeah. was too much and they just they were like we can't we can't hear ourselves we can't do anything and it's just it became sketchy you know like I'm sure the security wasn't amazing. <laughs> no, you know, the audio or what the traceable audio from Candlestick Park in San Francisco, that show with no monitors and they're only playing through Vox amps. It's just a disaster. I don't know how they even got through a song because you couldn't yeah. hear anything. Yeah. Um, but um, that's the nature of the, of, of the time, obviously. And, uh, you know, without them, there probably wouldn't be a whole lot of other music happening. So hats off to that. But everything about how I feel about the Beals is related to the fact that they, they, they weren't, they were around for a very short period of time. And in that short period of time, they, they played very few live shows. Yeah. And it, it would have been interesting. Well, who You're knows? A great like, studio I mean, band. You know, <laughs> maybe right time, right place, you know, because sure. um, when you watch that Bee Gees documentary, it's like they weren't that different, it, it, you know. They were they were kind of the it group, and then the Beatles kind of beat them to it. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, what's your uh, what's your first tune? What do you what do you want to throw at me? Um, I, I skipped the Beatles because I wanted to defer that to to I and I and I knew you were going to lob a good one. Um, uh, I, I took I took a stab at um at, at his Dylan reference. And I enjoyed that we cut him off at the pass in terms of, of saying, look, Jock, there's going to be no talking about Dylan. So I, I, so many great artists have covered Dylan and done such a good job of it. 
I wanted to uh, I wanted to uh, go with a cover tune, and uh, I really like uh, Michael Franti's um, um, cover uh, of um, Subterranean Homesick Blues. It's short. It's to the point. It's um, and it, uh, it it gets going. It picks up the pace nicely in the song. Uh, covers the required material, and um, and uh, I like it. I was I was drawn to it, and uh, not being a Dylan guy, can I, can you believe in the same five minutes I've said I'm not a big Beatles guy, and I don't really, I'm I not really a Dylan guy. So that's good. I'm probably not going to open any par parcels on my front door for a while, but that's the one I went with because um, it's great. It's a good. Uh, well, I think the biggest Dylan gift is that he gave us the band, you know, <laughs> he, 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 he exactly. hosts the band and let them create, you know, yeah. um, exactly. hey, now what, hey, with um, Subcreating Homesick Blues, I don't think you know this because you were not at Tim and Jocelyn's wedding. I was not. I was not. Okay. No, nope. here's the here's the beautiful part about you selecting that song is that Jock couldn't go to the wedding because he was in football training camp and you can't get out of training camp. I don't think no matter uh, how, how veteran you are, but he wasn't veteran, but mm. um, so he made a song for Tim and Jocelyn, no. recorded it on VHS. His older brother was a film guy. Jock is standing on the side of the road with placards. No, the, the same the same video that Bob Dylan made for this song. So good. Jock did for I didn't know Jocelyn. that. I know. So when I saw this, I'm like, God damn, that's the video. I looked up, I'm like, oh my god, how freaking perfect is this? That's fantastic. That, I know. That was Vancouver wedding. That was the Vancouver wedding. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, we had VHS and we had. Um, I don't think we could hook up a speaker system. It was very low tech. So we were crowded around a little TV the entire wedding watching this over and over again. <laughs> Get on him. Yeah. Get on. Um, and Jock actually said he doesn't know any huge police fans. And I, I should have interjected because um, yeah, I went with Regatta de Blanc, um, yeah. Bring on the Night. Bring on the Night. It's just, it's such a reggae song, you know? It's Absolutely. just got that, that reggae little lilt to it. And, um, and, um, and I, I should have said to him that I, I said previously, because uh, we were talking to Tim the previous week that, my friend Hamayan is the biggest police fan. He's like, I don't think there's any big police fans out there. I'm like, I, I disagree. Absolutely. <laughs> there's a lot of big police fans out there, mm. a lot of Sting fans. But I think there's a lot of old people, like older people, you know, our age, maybe even 10 years younger, whatever, that uh, they really like the police. And and I, I just remember it's like early, I think early high school, like grade nine, when Synchronicity came out. And that was that was massive. But yeah, this is. Uh, Regatta de Blanc. I think it's one of my favorite albums. So yep. you know, so that, that's uh, yeah. No, that's a great. You, that's a that's a great kicker. I. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he talked about his European experience, and uh, and and I think I threw out the uh, the ninety nine Luft balloons, and um, and I think it, I think it needs to be in there because I think it holds up. It, it has all of the Euro qualities of a of a great pop song, and uh, it is highly reminiscent of first year residence for me in Ottawa, and um, and uh, both both versions, English and in German were big hits so uh, so i had to throw that one into my into my list um because uh it seems to fit in his uh, european experience at the time and and um in the german version she still re uh, said um 
everyone's a Captain Kirk. So yeah, uh, right. <laughs> Captain Kirk translated perfectly. So that's yeah. all I felt like I could speak a little German after that experience. Um, Genesis, turn it on again. Okay. Um, and I, I think that appeals to the music geek in him just because the fact that um, it's a weirdo song. Like it changes tempo. Like every time I listen to that song, there's one juncture in it where you kind of go, did it almost skip? You know, like they switch it up. It almost stops and starts again and it's all over the place. And um, I don't know, it's just a good... Uh, uh, Genesis had a fair number of songs that you could get going to, but I don't know, that one definitely appeals to me. And I think he mentioned Genesis, Genesis, like it's off that album. So I think uh, yeah. I, I think I, I, I was actually listening to John. <laughs> I'm one of these uh, awful people who believes that Genesis ceased to exist when Gabriel left in the early 70s. So, so I'm not a fan of the Phil Collins era, but I can I can see why people like it. Super uh, composition of the songs, super well produced and uh, and great. Uh, I I uh, I branched off in um, uh, in uh, Jock's later uh, speaking about um, about um, Peter Gabriel. In that mm -hmm. uh, I I threw out um, I threw out uh, Biko uh, mm -hmm. because not just because of the politics of the song, but it's a haunting, beautiful, beautiful song. I just love it. It's it's one that I absolutely turn to 11 every single time I hear it. I can't resist. I'm yeah. not the song to get amped up to. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a terribly sad song, obviously. Um, uh, but uh, but uh, for what it's worth, I threw that in there because I think it's awesome. <laughs> well, as you should, like, I mean, uh, every, no matter how upbeat you want, you still need a chance to uh, mix another drink. So that's kind of that's like right. the, intermi so, the intermission. <laughs> have, a good, have a good cry. And then, you know, you got to, <laughs> scorpions, you know, oh. you kind of, you got to put on the scorpions one because it was mentioned in Lar. It was yeah. mentioned as one that he would throw on people request when he was a uh, DJ jock, uh, which cracks me up on many levels, just envisioning the, uh, the uh, grade eight uh, jock, grade nine jock. Uh, oh, oh! In DJ. at the youth center, you know, I, I, I <laughs> I'd pay for a picture from that era. I need, to, I need to check the Climby family archives for a picture of him behind the turntables at the uh, at the German youth club. But I, I went on to um, there's a site that I went on to. I was uh, I just wanted to pop up the lyrics for fun, and there were some comments below, and uh, this is so good. The one guy says. I love how 90% of Scorpion songs sound the same and they're all awesome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, if you're funny. in, you're in, you're out, you're in that's all so the way. <laughs> oh. um, so we've done well with German representation with uh, uh, no 99 kidding. Left Balloons and Scorpions. What else, uh, what else you got up your sleeve? <laughs> you know, he, he mentioned Sloan you know fantastic canadian band i'm a uh, I, I, i've liked them for a long long time i and, and uh, i think um, money city maniacs is a great tune uh -huh. it, uh, it has the uh it has the uh the siren in there it's the <laughs> the air raid siren it's got a great lead in it's got a you know it's got a great thundering um uh, backbeat happening and uh, i think it's a cool song i've always loved it so i had cool. to throw he mentioned sloan i had to throw that one in there 
Well, you were paying attention. Um, and the thing is, you, you're, you are unintentionally creeping him because the last time he was here in Vancouver, him and Robbie, uh, they went to a Sloan concert. Did they? No way. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> it was hilarious. I'm like, I should put Sloan on there. And I saw your picks. I'm like, perfect. We can. <laughs> so, so you nailed Bob Dylan. You nailed Sloan. So, <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, one of his first awesome concerts, I think it was the second one, uh, was in Ottawa, though, the U2 concert. Right. And, um, you know, any song that's, uh, the song is not a rebel song. Uh, you know, there's, sure. what is it? There's, there's too much talk, maybe, maybe too much talk about it's this. Not Sunday. You know, just the way that just starts, it's just like, all yeah. right, here we go. You know, they give us a warning of like, okay, we're going to rev it up. And I, you know, I love that. Yeah, that was the, um, yeah, that was, uh, I was in Ottawa at the time and, uh, and uh, caught that show as well, which was fantastic. The, um, the backup was, I think Dire Straits had Stevie Ray Vaughan. And I'm trying to remember who the who the supporting act for the U2 show was, but it was uh, it was the Unforgettable Fire tour, yeah. The, the Jock was referencing, and uh, I pulled out um, for that. I pulled out I Will Follow because I just think that's a that's a beauty that kicks. Yeah, uh, and that I think that was a song about his mother, or oh, yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure. Oh, maybe not his mother, but uh, it was it, I don't know. The lyrics are pretty. Uh, pretty pretty deep on that one um and then you know what i like is the process i you know i i haven't created anything artistic in my entire life um but i like hearing about other people who can do stuff and for brian adams kids want to rock and i like the story behind that um because him and his writing partner jim valance i think is his name they um they're recording and then Brian wasn't too thrilled about the way recording was going. So they essentially took a, a week or a month off. They took a, a break and they went and saw a show. And I think the show was decent. They went and had drinks afterwards and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I, either, I'm not sure who it was, Jim or Brian just said, you know, it comes right down to it, the kids want to rock. <laughs> and, then I, and then he's like, we should get to the studio tomorrow. <laughs> and they, the they did it in one day. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you can plan and plan and plan and then, all of a sudden you just come up with that. It's like, uh, I think we got something. So I'll see you tomorrow. My immediate draw to Brian Adams was the fact that he played a Rickenbacker 330, my favorite guitar of all time, my favorite sound, the Rico sound. Uh, uh, it, it's just, uh, it, uh, it's, it's a great sounding uh, guitar and he plays it. So that makes him all right by me. And I just went with the seminal summer of 69 on that one, just because, um, uh, because that's a beauty, but I think, uh, I think, uh, that, uh, you, uh, you touched all the bases with kids want to rock. That's, that's one I didn't consider. And I should have, that's a beauty choice. That's a great one. Have you seen Brian Adams? I have, um, yeah, many times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I only probably, saw him the once. I saw him the once as he was the, uh, the warm-up act for my Def Leppard concert in Detroit. <laughs> there you go. Pyromania tour. Wow. <laughs> we're like, we're like, okay, get out of the way. We're here to see Def Leppard. <laughs> so it was a lot of disrespect there. Sorry. <laughs> support, and, uh, acts, support acts are just, uh, it's, it, I think, I think that, that, that begs the question of amazing bands who were support acts who got, who got, took a lot of crap, you know, during a show and went on to, I mean, virtually every band is going to do that, but uh but uh, it's funny to hear all these stories about bands just taking a 
ton of yep. heat they don't deserve. Well, for people you know, which goes back to the whole Bob Dylan thing in the band. Like they were about to tell him, it's like, we can't do this any longer. Like we're not part of your acoustic to electric experiment, right. getting beer bottles thrown at us, just getting shit upon every night. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, like, we want to do our own music. Bob, what's he breaks his back and it's like, oh, fuck, we got out of that. And he's paying for us to live for a year. It's like, wow, so, we were just about to quit, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then the rest is history for them. I think we chose the same Sam Roberts song. Um, that's, them kids. Uh, yeah, that's just such a great song. It, it tells a great story. It makes a great statement. I just, uh, uh, it's fantastic. They, um, they played at Homecoming in Kingston uh, uh, two years ago. Uh, and, uh, just outside where, where, um, Jock Hardy used to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, late October, cool night. And they just absolutely ripped it up. It was a great show. <laughs> Sam Roberts, just, a, I, I think an understated Canadian act and, and, you know, in many ways, like the hip, it's just a band that, uh, seems to get a ton of traction, um, domestically. And then just sputters a bit south of the border, unless yeah. I'm missing something. It's yeah. just musically, lyrically, everything about the way the music's presented is top notch, and uh, and uh, and seems to me that they uh, they they uh, deserve a better shake than what they get. Hey, so, it's um, twenty four years today is when uh, tragically hip were on Saturday Night Live. I saw that. I saw yeah. that I saw that feed with Dan Aykroyd with the, <laughs> doing the intro. One of the ugliest Canada shirts of all time. <laughs> it was one of the ugly. I don't know. I don't know what uh, what uh, giant tiger he found that one at, but it's uh, it had Mounties, I think, on it. It had uh, T A N A D A. You got to be a big man to pull that off. Honestly, God, it looks like something you bought at the airport. At the yeah. souvenir shop on the way in, it just it was just horrid. I have, I think you you nailed it. Uh, I really do. <laughs> and uh, and I uh, I saw it all the way through today. I was watching that uh, that video uh, from Saturday Night Live, and the host of the show was John Goodman. So um, I'm sure it was a, it was a fun time that uh, that weekend. Yeah, that was a big night. <laughs> um, so yeah, I went with Twist My Arm, and um, and it, it has that. I like songs that start with like. You know it's a rocker song, but they start with a little guitar, mm -hmm. and then let's let's hit the drums, and you're like, okay, we're we're about to go. So it's you know start with a guitar, and you're like, hold my beer, please. You know, like, <laughs> we're, we're going somewhere. You know, so great choice. Um, and you were you were 38 years old, I think. No, no, no. Um, actually, um, I uh, I went with a live version of uh, New Orleans is sinking. Why did you do live? Well, uh, there, there's there's a couple live versions where uh, where Gordy has a beautiful diatribe that goes off in so many different directions, and like a tightrope walker who's just so far beyond the balancing point, at exactly the right moment in both of the versions that I love, he brings it back with a snap of a finger right back in. And and it's just everything about it is magic about those two yeah. live versions and yeah. uh, and it's it's a song that traditionally when they played live uh, gave gave um, gave uh, Gord Gordy a vehicle to have a 
out of body experience and yeah. explore all kinds of interesting stories and things like that. And it's a great song because the band sits back in a groove and just lays it down over yeah. and over and over until everyone's convinced that Gordy's taken to where it is. And then in the, as I mentioned, snap of a finger, they're right back. And it's just, it, it, I love it. It blows my mind every time. I don't know how many times he did it, but there was that uh, one time he was the, the janitor in an aquarium. That's one of his short stories that he he went on. on. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And he broke. But how many times have we seen that live? And, you know, when he comes back, when he brings it around with a snap of the fingers, as you say, it's you're like, ah, we're still on the song. Because oh, <laughs> he takes you on a little journey and he's, he's you know, that was a great gift um, of his. And a great gift he gave to us was uh, was the the uh, the little the little journeys that he took. It was yeah. great. Um, Jock didn't mention. I don't think he mentioned his his, uh, his fondness for country, and I know he appreciates it. And we mm -hmm. saw that, and uh, when we were Jock in the Nashville Nine in uh, in Nashville, um, and uh, so that's why I went with this Dire Straits song, um, "Set Me Up." Nice. It is. It just it reminds me of country. And it's so funny. Here's another confession of mine that probably has nothing to do with what we're trying to accomplish here. But uh, when I lived in Taiwan, I lived with a bunch of American guys from Seattle. <laughs> every song, like I think they're big in the country. And every time they hit the dance floor, they would lock their thumbs in their belt loops and just, <laughs> no matter if it was hard rock or reggae, they would dance <laughs> like country. <laughs> and when I was listening to this, I just reminded of my friends from the States. I'm like, I wonder if they're still dancing that way. I reckon they are. I think I think that the buckles are bigger and the line dancing is exactly the same. Uh, you know, he, he mentioned Tears for Fears. Uh, I couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know they were I, big and I just uh, yeah, I, I took a pass I took a pass on on that hope, ho hoping that that you, <laughs> that you would that you would get the gist of whichever ones that I omitted, I wasn't interested in pursuing. <laughs> oh. no, and usually I'll take the high road and say, and, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll try to salvage this. But I'm like, yeah, no, no, no thanks. Uh. I'm too much of a prick to, to, uh, to endorse that. But I'll tell you a road I will go down. And I know that he said he likes Harry Styles. And, and okay. uh, I, I went back to the early Harry Styles catalog to the One Direction to the infancy to the One Direction and uh my of course I have a, I have a 20 year old daughter and uh and I I did now I did not take her to a One Direction concert I drove her I I dropped her off and waited for her outside of the concert she went with a friend and that's very and, almost very almost famous of you did you have a whistle well you know <laughs> the thing about being my kid is you probably went to 40 shows before you were 12 or 13 or you know yeah going to shows yeah. the, the the stadium experience certainly wasn't foreign to her it probably was yeah. with me yeah but she was she was with a friend and these girls were just losing their mind so we have this thing and you know when, when <laughs> and the reason i chose that song what makes you beautiful is because 
because we would do these father-daughter things and that was that was our song to rip it up on the dance floor that was our sacred because you know yeah. it was going to be played yeah uh, and and uh, the school she went to had this event this this father-daughter or uh, event and and that was our thing and and uh, we still we still do it it's our it's it's sacred to us so that's why i i lob that one in and the song doesn't suck <laughs> well i did listen said to the it, guys so. who said <laughs> the guy who doesn't like the beatles <laughs> oh well, the beatles are terrible but you should hear this one direction song. it's amazing <laughs> well yeah and i went with pure sugar watermelon sugar high and i don't know i, I have nothing to say about it it's a good song i guess you know it's just it's nothing that i y'all i'll be playing it too often you know no so it, jock can have it yeah and 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 i think that that's more of um as, as he mentioned that that is a song that's more triggered by the relationship with his daughter and what the music uh that that she likes and this is definitely the situation with me throwing that one in because it's a fun thing that that we do together uh i you wouldn't catch me going to a one direction concert by myself yeah uh you get arrested i mean a, a single 57 year old yeah you know a guy going alone to a a concert you'd you'd be thrown in a cage i'm sure but that's yeah beyond creepy so so you you always have an out because if someone finds something in your uh, in your record collection you go oh, well, my it's my daughter, you know, yeah, yeah exactly so you can't come over to my place as a single guy and go what's this doing here i'm like mm. I was actually waiting for Jock's daughter to come over. That's, that's just, no, that's not a, no, that's not, no. that's not, you know, I'm no. not going to get out of that. Um, when hey, people he, find my, bo- my, uh, my in uh, sync record collection, that's, I just say, well, it's not mine. It's mine. <laughs> hey, he um, mentioned, he mentioned, I was surprised he mentioned Beautiful South. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess that would have been fourth year because I was actually in Toronto at that time. And, uh, and I couldn't find any beautiful South that I, I thought would work, but most certainly before that, uh, a party song was Happy Hour by the House Martins. And that's yeah. where, where Paul and I don't know if the other guy, I, and for sure Paul came from that. Paul, he, you and I duplicated um, that pick. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. we did. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And, and, and you I know, mean, it's, it's such a great song. I was, when it came out, I was living in London at the time, and it was one of those songs that were in the bars. And I loved when it came on because the only alternative to it was Europe's final countdown, which I loathed and still hate. I can't even hear the first two bars of that without losing my mind. So the House Martins was a great, was just a great interruption in uh, 86, I guess it was. Uh, so for, I will be forever grateful to the House Martins for releasing a song that was on in the same run where I had to tolerate the final countdown. <laughs> well, you know, I, or, I have a, I actually have an affinity for Beautiful South um, yeah. because it was 1989 and that song, um, pencil case song, uh, the song's for you. It was, uh, it was, it was about the girls in pencil case or something. It was a big, it was a big uh, mm-hmm. pop song at the time and Jock hates pop music. So I'm surprised he, he mentioned Beautiful South. Um, but uh I was in charge uh, at the restaurant. There was uh, a number of us, and I was the ringleader. And uh, uh, I'm like, "Beautiful South's coming to town. We're going." It was nice. at Masonic. Te- it was at the Masonic Temple, oh, yeah, yeah. and uh, and I worked in Yorkville, so that my life was was very much in that area. And um, and there was a girl 
who just arrived on the scene, Pamela. And it's like, oh, I'm so in. I'm like, a little too enthusiastic, but I quite liked her. And, uh, but I, I'd known her for like a week. So I literally bought, I think it was about 16 tickets. Like it was a large number. And, uh, and well in advance, we had it all planned. And my buddy Crush and I used to stay up late, smoking ciggies, listening to music. And, um, and so as the concert draws closer, you know, we didn't have WhatsApp and no cell phones, but I went around like, are you going? Are you going? Are you going? And I was like, yeah, totally confirmed. And I had the, the pre-party at my condo. And um, so everything was, was, was going great, except everyone, 16 plus Pamela, confirmed. I'm like, oh. so at that time, you actually had to walk down to the restaurant and pick yeah. up your paycheck, you know? <laughs> so it was payday. So Crush and I had the day off, the day of the concert. And, uh, and it was a wintry day. And we go pick up and, and all I was going, I was just like, just like over and over. I'm like, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna, how am I gonna handle this? Um, I guess I can't go, I'll have the, I'll have the pre-party, but I can't go. And, uh, and then at Yorkville at Move and Pick, our restaurant. And um, I'm like, hey, let's go and see if they're doing a sound check. As luck would have it, side door was open to the Masonic Temple about 2.33 in the afternoon. And uh, they're playing indoor soccer in no. front of the stage because it's general admission. So there's no yep. chairs, right? So, no. um, and so they're playing indoor soccer. They see us, wet boots, you know, and you guys want to play? <laughs> yeah. We, <laughs> no we play, yeah, we played indoor soccer. And then maybe 20 minutes later, they were pretty much done. And, uh, and Crush is a pretty good soccer player. And, uh, and so I go over to Paul and like, hey, 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 uh, we're coming to the show tonight. Um, and as an idiot would say, uh, like I said, I, I bought a lot of tickets. I'm bringing all my friends. Uh, I didn't think you'd sell out. Like, <laughs> that's not the way to ask for a favor. I didn't think you were that popular. I had no and, idea that you were going to sell more than 16 tickets. <laughs> and uh, so, and he says, oh, no problem. I'll put you on the guest list. So I'm like, you mission accomplished. And then he's like, uh, no one, like no managers really around. Um, and everyone's kind of going away. It's just uh, the three of us. And um, yeah, he, I said, oh, uh, how, how will I get on the list? He says, just write it down on a piece of paper. I'm like, had my back of my paycheck, tore off the stub, wrote my name, piece of paper like this big. And he's like, great, Nate, see you tonight in his pocket. I'm like, oh, this is not the best system. <laughs> and uh, so, so now Crush and I leave, we're like, amazing experience. But now all I can think of is, are we on or not? Like, <laughs> did it happen or did it not happen? Those pants are are they going to stay on? Um, and uh, so pre-party at my place, fully discussed the plan. I was the last guy to go in. Everyone went in in front of me, yeah. and I said to Crush, uh, like, if I'm not on the list, I'm not on the list. Yeah. I turn around. Everyone has a great time. And um, so I get to the door, and uh, and I wasn't cocky, but I was like, I'm on the guest list. And uh, she's oh great, and has a clipboard, a bunch of names, and uh, and what's your name? I'm like Brad. And uh, we're going through and she's like, no, I'm like, oh. so here's a deal. I was playing indoor soccer with the guys earlier. I know, unbelievable. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I wrote down, uh, I wrote down my name on a piece of paper and you put it, oh, a piece of paper. She literally has a bag, like a crown royal bag or something like that, like something <laughs> similar to that. And then goes and pulls up these pieces of paper, puts them on the clipboard that's now flat. Uh, my name is there. It's just enjoy the show. No way. So, that's awesome. So, 
I will always love the beautiful South in some way, shape or form. So, so nice. I, I don't know if anyone else is going to mention the beautiful South. So I had to get that story out now. Good on you. <laughs> where were we? Where, where are we going now? You, you were going to, I think you should tee up a, um, uh, he, he mentioned style council. Well, you chose it. <laughs> the walls come tumbling down. That did was you, your choice. Did you I choose love it. Oh, that's a great no. Yeah, I know. Because uh, I actually thought, ah, uh, because we had a conversation months ago where I'm like, ah, my dirty little pleasure style council. And you're like, Paul Weller, Paul Weller, sell out. And here's how I can appreciate that song is because Weller wrote that with a full intention of it being a song for the jam uh before before that kind of went south so that's an interesting interesting bit of it but it's a great song it's got it's a you know he he well uh well locked into some good soul and uh did did uh i think did an admirable job and and i love the walls come tumbling down so yeah because right off the get go it, it's there like it's a very uh, great like mini introduction but you're like right there with it um yeah. spoon I can't tell you how much I love Spoon. Like, <laughs> I, I, re I really do. Um, you know, it, it's got a, a funky rhythm to it. It just, a, a lot of their music just makes me happy. You know, like it's, it's stuff that gets me going. Yeah, they just played down the street uh, here. Um, last time I saw them was a couple of years ago at the Danforth Music Hall. And it was just joyous. It's just such a good show, a great venue and uh good times with uh with some pals you know and uh and it was just uh it was a great time so i i've always liked the song do you it's just it uh it flows nicely it's got some good pickup it's got a it's got kind of a kind of a sweet sort of wilco vibe to it in my mind just in my head yeah. so that's the one yeah. I, I did which song did you go to for spoon oh, that that's what i did i did i did do me yeah, me too. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did the same one. Yeah, and yeah, that's what I thought. We were on the same page. Um, and uh, I love it because I love the lyrics in it, where he's uh, he's in love with the girl, saying all the things he loves about her, but he actually says he's pretty flawed, and you know, that's that's me. You know, like chances are I'm gonna fuck this up. <laughs> sure, honesty. Um, he makes me he makes me think of Lloyd Doppler. <laughs> Lloyd Doppler and uh, say anything. It's like sure. uh, I'm just gonna. Uh, to to her dad, I'm just gonna hang with your daughter. I'm really into kickboxing, you know, score the future. But this summer, I'm just gonna hang with your daughter. <laughs> he, uh, Climby mentioned Squeeze, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I, uh, um, the the album Cool for Cats, I always loved, and um, caught them early on. I think probably 1979 again at the Danforth Music Hall. And uh, the support act for them was my great local heroes, a band called um, called the Mods, which were just super Toronto late '70s power pop band, and uh, and just uh, love those guys. Scarborough based, and uh, and uh, their their record was later remastered by Chris Spedding and uh, released, and and is probably one that I play in the top 10 at home so mods and oh, right on. squeeze were uh in support of rg bargy i think at the time and uh and uh for uh when when he mentioned squeeze uh, of course i went to um pulling muscles from a shell yeah. super super pop song just jules uh -huh. holland was still in the band playing keys um at the time so there's a lot of that um represented in the record and it's just got a sweet sound yeah 
and lots of things you can cotton on to too, like mention of uh, William Tell and just, just a bunch of buzzwords in there that you can always like kind of grasp onto. And yeah. of course, this sexual innu innuendo of like, you know, uh, something like the holidays over and uh, I think I wrapped it up nicely. Like I think he fooled yeah. around behind the, behind the behind the chalet or whatever, like the, the cottage. And uh, I'm like, yeah, well done. Good mission accomplished. Go back to London now. <laughs> It's um, Tilbrook and Difford of a writing duo, just magic. Um, and well, and that was big for for Jock and me in first year because I actually remember hearing that every single morning because I was uh, I did that hideous sport called rowing in first year, and uh, <laughs> and our friend Peter Burgess is the only guy that we knew with a car, and uh, so most of the rowing team would pile into that car at five thirty in the morning, and he had that one cassette on. Every morning, singles, 45s and under. And uh, so uh, I, I got my fill of it, that's for sure. So that was definitely our first year uh, first year soundtrack for us. So that's um, a reasonable reference to one of our lines of questioning where we ask, if is there a song that takes you to an exact time and place? And I think for you, if you heard that squeeze uh, cassette, always you're on, the way, you're on the way to rowing at five in the morning. Absolutely. So... Um, so yeah, I enjoyed the sounds, but I knew it was on the way to immense pain and I was probably hungover. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and I did Annie Get Your Gun just cause it's a bit of a rocker for them. You know, oh, sure. it's, it, yeah. it goes up, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, um, you did a nice, that John Mayer song, you hmm. went live. Cause I think that's the only version you can grab. Like it wasn't on an album. I think it was on a live album or live video or something like that i had to pop it up on youtube to find it oh yeah the uh, the bill weathers cover of ain't no sunshine yeah yeah yeah, yeah um mayor oscillates with me in my my you know how i hold him in great esteem as a as a musician he's just not in my mind a great quality human but uh the the the, the skill is just un unbelievable i think it's for that reason that i moved to uh a cover and he really does do that song justice it's yeah. it, it's a great 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 tune um and uh, if i had to pick one i just i liked how he handled it it was great yeah well and same for me i picked a cover too with uh jimmy hendrix um yeah i'll wait until tomorrow you know, and he funks it up quite a bit, you know, yeah. so he takes the heaviness out of it and it's pretty That's funky. Skilled. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. He's not my favorite human, but, uh, but <laughs> uh, I do nine. Um, um, yeah. So, and then, you know, no, no secret jock loves Paul Simon. You know, you uh, yes. put a guitar in his hand and it's going to be me oh. and Julio down by the schoolyard as he's warm up. That's how he, he gets That's, in the flow. Yeah. So yeah. I've heard that many a time. And the, the evening that you and I were in our space costumes in September, yeah, we ended up um, we ended up in uh, in in my room <laughs> with um, Bladen, <laughs> and uh, Jock Jock found my guitar, and we heard um, me and Julio three times before he was ready, <laughs> before he was ready to move on with his repertoire. <laughs> But he, he he moved through it very well. So by the third time, I was really hoping that he knew at least one more song, and he did. And he he knows a ton. And uh, and uh, I had a great time listening to him. Full credit to Climby. He has got a great voice. He's a good player, and he knows some cool songs. He knows some cool songs. He knows his range too. 
Like, yeah. you know, he, he's, he's kind of, I, I felt he nailed that little pocket where he can sing very well. Like he mm -hmm. won't go too far out of it, you know, and, and, you know, uh, I don't know how that works as you age, but I'm pretty sure that pocket doesn't get too much bigger, you know? So, sure. uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's always fun with Jock at the cottage and, you know, when he comes over here, that's why I have guitars in my house. They're just for Jock because I don't know how to play them. <laughs> Every time he comes, he comes, I go to the guitar shop and get everything tuned up. I'm like, here you go. <laughs> um, and, and then, so I did, you can call me Al. Cause it was, mm -hmm. that was, that was when we used to watch videos in university. And, uh, and that was the one uh, I, pretty sure with Chevy Chase in it and it was just like a, a, a total idiot video um but it was a lot of fun it's fantastic yeah it was like they they threw 30 grand at the budget and uh Chevy Chase just do something stupid so yeah, yeah so I, I don't know I, it was a fun song for sure what do you got I I uh he mentioned Billy Eilish oh god yeah 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 and William Eilash as uh as uh Rain uh, it was a great, uh, a great video where uh, Rain Wilson from uh, the uh, U.S. version of The Office visits uh, Billie Eilish at home because she's a big Office fan, and he quizzes her um, on very difficult questions about episodes of of The Office. So um, you should check that out. It's it's actually oh, I have cool. to, yeah. And he does refer to as William Eilash in many occasions through it. So it's uh, pretty good. Um, you know what? I'm 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 uh, I'm a fan. I think I think the the her music's great. It's a it, it's a it's a big. I think it's just it's it's cool. It's different, and uh, in the in the doldrums, it uh, it's it's kind of interesting. And I, I I think the 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 her big hit, the big song, bad guy. I think it's a cool song. Yeah, absolutely. And I like. Um... I don't know if it's in the lyrics she explained the lyrics it's like uh, and i it, it rings true like it's so smart where she says you know people who tell you how bad they are they aren't bad it's the bad people are the people who do shit and have no idea they're you know and um, you know all these uh, we live in a world of uh, uh people fronting on instagram and showing how glorious they are if you've got it all together you no need to flaunt it you don't need to put it on instagram you know so um and i think she taps into that really well um mm -hmm. I like the story of her family. Like, I actually really like her because her and her brother yep. couldn't be tighter. Um, and um, I like that the family was so into art um, and into the kids doing their thing within certain parameters, but the parameters were quite wide that they didn't have to go to bed at a certain time, even when they're eight or nine or 10, as long as they were creating something. So, right. you know, they couldn't be zoning out. They couldn't be just like, uh, chatting, which, uh, but if they were making something, they could stay up all night if they want to. Like, you know, I'm sure that could backfire, but at the same time, it's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, just to see somebody that young putting it together and, and doing it on her own terms. I mean, the way, uh, the way she chooses to dress focuses the interest on the music, thankfully. And, uh, but she's super bright very very smart and uh i think she's got uh i think uh i think her music has legs i don't think this is just going to be a one or two or three record wonder i think that she's mm -hmm. going to be a contributor for a long time i think she's pushed music forward in a fairly short period of time and um i don't get to listen to a ton of 
brand new contemporary music that's aimed at younger people but that stood out to me and uh, yeah and kind of grabbed me as being something cool yeah and uh i think she's the type of artist that's um will probably put out stuff that she doesn't really give a shit if people like and then there'll be the hit and you know but i think she's got enough clout and credibility and i think her fans will like it anyway so they're pretty oh, devoted but but she's gonna just do her thing and and that's yeah, I can't see her being very commercial. So, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, she's the type of person that, uh, that uh, I mean, I've always gravitated to the weirdos. And I think she was probably a weirdo kid, although she's still young, obviously, mm -hmm. woman. But, uh, but you could, I think we all probably knew people like her, you know, super artsy, a little bit out there, you know, and I, I just love the, I don't give a fuck attitude. It's, yeah. It's it, it's it's very punky for her to say like fuck this I'm gonna wear what I want I'm gonna make the music that I want and if yeah. you don't like it fuck it too bad I don't care I'm just here to make some yeah. art which yeah is, exactly which is, I went with uh, Nights on Broadway well we did the same damn one oh, did we <laughs> okay that's not bad for us I think I think we I think we chose four of the same ones which is actually pretty rare for us yeah. but uh, but uh, it's a you know what it's it's a great song it's got to build. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's got some, it's got some funky guitar. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's coherent. It tells a great story again, like most good songs do. And, uh, and it's good. It's so funny that in 1976, I think I probably would have had a coronary if somebody caught me listening to the Bee Gees, but <laughs> my mom loved the Bee Gees. Wow. Good and, friend of Tim Fabry's mom. <laughs> and oh yeah like pat did a lot of the disco phase for pat there was a lot of dancing in the kitchen there was a lot of uh, doing the bump around the uh around the, yeah, around the around the kitchen counter there but um but uh, uh i i found myself more than once just uh, cramming on little bgs because they're damn fine musicians they're damn fine and i love that song because it starts out a bit funky mm. it goes into a little bit of disco but not not no, hardcore not disco but then it's it slows right down mm -hmm. like about two-thirds of the way in it's almost like a talking thing and then they kind of go back into disco and it's like it's um i don't know for all the the boys that i hang out with like it it's 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 moody like you know it, it, it actually it, it 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 really talks to um a lot of my friends who are moody and and it's like happy not happy oh we need to whisper and it's like oh we're having a party again but it's not an anthem know? No, it's, it's not, it's not an anthem. It's just no. it, uh, it's yeah. a straightforward. Just yeah, it's it's uh, it takes you on a little bit of a ride, which I think is is what it's all about. And I think for the most part, a lot of your picks, the ones we've discussed, do exactly that. While while Jock threw us a little bit of a curveball in into what he gave us versus what he wants. <laughs> the, the inputs didn't exactly compute with what our outputs are. But in in the choices, the uh, the common thread, uh, no question, is good storytelling in each and every one of these. Yeah, um, very lyrical, strong, and uh, and and storytelling. And you know what? There's uh, I was I was looking at a lot of those British picks. Uh, there was a lot of uh, at that time, especially with the songs we chose, just trashing the shit out of the Thatcher government. Like uh, sure. that, the, yeah, like that's uh, obviously pretty easy, but. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, the, there's four, I think it's four of our songs, and just like yeah, that was uh, that was once again talking about how they uh, they actually started the Falklands War just to get people off oh industrial disease, you know, uh, yeah. dire straits. It's like they mm -hmm. they reference that, and it's like 
yeah, they actually started a war just so people wouldn't know how shitty it was back here, you know, and, um, and that and, and, you know, getting back, I remember Jock was talking about, so when he mentioned BGC, uh, he was talking about the death of disco and what happened in Cleveland with the burning of the disco uh, mm -hmm. uh, records. And, and you know, to me that it, it became a trashing disco, which is trashing fun, um, but it turned into the anti-gay movement for a little while. And that, yeah. it, that's the that's really sad part. Like a lot of people got hurt because it was cool to, to, to shit on disco, which meant you shit on people who like disco, which is a big part of the gay crowd. And, uh, yeah. and, 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 and it's such a sad time. And it's like, it's not like we've learned anything. It's not like we've learned about um, being nice to all kinds of people, but uh, it's just another example of like, picking something and then lopping into something else and and people innocent people fucking suffer because of it oh i would just went political I think, crazy. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a, a, a pure disco song that is a downer yeah you see, absolutely you see the idea of of uh, soul and funk um uh, coming together uh, and uh and the the evolution of disco there was a positivity about it uh an uplifting um scene that of course was going to be adopted yeah. by by the gay community so the association mm -hmm. isn't necessarily unfair what's unfair is the way that it was deconstructed to to as a power play for for people who liked you know another form of of of, of music you yeah know, that, that, mm -hmm. that 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 was generally um not as joyous certainly didn't bring people together and uh, and uh, I, I just got a great, you know, I got a great view of it. And uh, and uh, I love the, uh, I, you know, the, the guys I went to school with, we laugh about it all the time because, you know, the two camps, the, uh, the, the, the disco guys and stuff. And uh, yeah, at the end of high school, there was, uh, there was a big uh, shindig. It wasn't really, a, it wasn't a formal so much as it was run by the Italian club. And it was so funny to see all of the former rockers from 1978 at an event called the Festa. And it was just a full on disco, wonderful party. And it turned out to be the best party in high school by a mile, yeah. not even right. by a little bit. And it was a it was a pure celebration of um, of uh, of uh, disco and all the good things that it brought to it, and I think that uh, it 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 provided freedom for the guy the guys who who I knew who weren't out. Yeah, yeah. Because it was a difficult place to be out in no in, in the early eighties in an all boys yeah. school. Yeah, uh, you know were were uh were just having the the time of their lives and and it was like finally a, you could take a breath it was you know you're leaving high school you're gonna have this freedom but uh but uh, my buddies uh who 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 uh weren't out yet you could tell this was just a fantastic celebration and you knew that music was going to be a part of the way that they enjoyed themselves moving forward it was just going to be a great yeah. a great thing yeah yeah very cool so Got anything left? I, I think we covered most of I, think, I covered I think, all my songs. <laughs> I think we went through the entire thing. The only thing I threw in there for was uh was uh was uh homeless, which is really Lady Smith Black Man Basil, but appears on Paul Simon's Graceland. Uh yeah. and I only threw that in because I it's another one that I absolutely love. And uh and it's another one that I can listen to a thousand times and just the you know the intonation. Now obviously. 
Paul Simon was probably nothing more than the music director on it. But what Paul Simon was able to do was to was to was to push Ladysmith Black Mambazo to the forefront, so yep. that their music could be widely appreciated uh, on on the heels of uh, you know uh, people appreciating more things African at the end of yeah. the uh, the horrible uh, apartheid era. So that was uh, an interesting. I had to I had to throw that one in. I don't think it's gonna it would necessarily you know make it on the list, but I had to toss that one in because I just love it. We could close with that. Um, but we didn't have a stone. Oh, uh, paint it black. Paint That's it black is mine. You know? I went with that too. Okay, that was our fourth. Yeah. So that was the fourth thing we agreed <laughs> yeah. on. You know, and you, you yeah. know that was their that was their acid time. Like, and they're playing the sitar. It's pretty you know, like it's pretty, pretty <laughs> But for um, it's a it's a pretty rocking song for a fucking dark song. Absolutely. Jesus, you know it's like. You know, you're partying that song, but if you really pay attention, it's like you should be crying. You yeah, know, it's, it's, it's not it's, to pay too much attention. Yeah, yeah, it's good not to pay too much attention. But <laughs> um, and 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 you know, how many times can you have a rocker song with the sitar, the sitar in there? You yeah. know, it's like you know, I don't know. It's it, it's a pretty magical song, um, and it is freaking well written. Like the words in that, I, I don't know. I I've read it a couple times over the years, and like Jesus Christ, that's uh, that's pretty good poetry. Yeah, it's a, it's a beauty, and uh, again, I'm not the biggest Stones guy uh, in in the world, but uh, but uh, I'll uh, I'll enjoy that one every single time. It's a lot. Well, it. I'll always have something against the Stones because it was once again 1989, and I slept outside in Toronto to buy tickets because that was their farewell tour. Of course. <laughs> Well, of course, night sleep <laughs> but that was um and i don't I, I don't even know the venue it was a big venue obviously it must have been it would have been skydome probably what year it would have it definitely would have been skydome 89 90 so it was a skydome yeah. for sure and yeah. um but i remember not being thrilled at that concert because he had yet to realize their decline and mm -hmm. what i mean by that is that he was still he still thought he was young he saw his, thought his voice was vibrant and could mm -hmm. go. And it was cracking up and breaking all the time. And then I remember uh, I was kind of off the stones because I'm like slept overnight and I wasn't even that good of a show. Um, and, um, and then I think I hadn't really paid too much attention to them. And then that Scorsese film came out where he did uh, of them in, um, in Harlem where he, it, was, it was a good little documentary, but it was just on that show. And, and then I'm like, oh, well done. Cause he figured out the power of those amazing backup singers. Yeah. He has those girls mm -hmm. that he starts the song, they take it over and he's pretty much just gets in there while he can, but they, they give all the depth to it. And sure. it's like, wow, you guys sound great again because you stepped away and you just do your dance and you're the front man, but the sound is entirely black sound now, which right. I, I I enjoy now. Like I, I could see a live show because of the fact I know I'm going to see, you know, like they say the uh, what, eight feet, 10 feet, 12 feet from stardom. Mm -hmm. They're, they're better than the guy in the front. They need the guy in the front, but uh, they're, they're delivering the goods. You know, I guess the, um, when, uh, when Carol and I got together and she was running the program through Labatt's, we were, we were seeing three or four concerts a week. 
and uh, the Stones was uh, was in that cycle. I think uh, twice in a six month um, time span, they played in Toronto. And uh, I was getting a little tired of the inflatable honky tonk woman. Uh, like it seemed a little bit like Canada's Wonderland. And I think that they had they had been enjoying the large venue apparatus to have these, you know, these kind of crappy side things, which was a little bit more of a circus than the music. And I think they they kind of let that slide a little bit. Um, in the early days of Skydome, the sound was absolutely atrocious. Um, this 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 particular show that I'm referencing was probably summer of 91, 92. And the um, actually the support act was Spin Doctors. Okay. Yeah, I would have enjoyed that at the time. <laughs> but the sound for, for sure. both was embarrassing. It was yeah. terrible. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, re it really was. And this was lots of inflatables, lots of prancing and preening, and, uh, and uh, not a whole lot of music. It was a bit of a disappointment. So. Yeah. So I was thoroughly disappointed. So, you know, but I think we each bought six tickets. We sold four. We turned a profit. So it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't all lost. <laughs> all transaction. Good for you. That's awesome. Well, is that a wrap, my friend? I think that's a wrap, my friend.